The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and Ken Adams of Impact Ministries led a track called The Making of a Disciple Making Church. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. In addition to this podcast, you'll find many other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. Now here's today's track session. I do want to introduce myself to you. My name is Ken, uh, Ken Adams. And so uh, uh, I am actually uh, the pastor of a church in a place called Noonan, Georgia, which is a little bit south of the airport in Atlanta. And so uh, I'm a, a pastor of Crossroads Church and also sort of the founder and director of a ministry that has really kind of been birthed out of that church called Impact Ministries. And we're really committed uh, to helping Christians and helping churches uh, really learn what it means to be a disciple and build disciples uh, as much as we can, everywhere we can, every opportunity we can. So, uh, uh, so we really are a, uh, we are general practitioners. And so uh, what that means is, is that I can tell you more about what not to do than what to do, okay? And so uh, uh, literally um, we are fleshing it out and uh, we are just trying to figure out how you make disciple making work uh, in a local church. And so we're very committed to that. I actually heard somebody say years ago, uh, I asked a guy, you may have heard of him before, he's a, a very popular disciple maker named Dan Spader. I asked him, I said, how many, how many churches uh, do you know of in North America that literally have movements of multiplication going? And he said, I don't know of any. And so uh, so that was about 28 years ago. And quite honestly, here's what I've been doing. I've been spending the last 28 years trying to figure out how to be one of those churches and how to become one of those churches. And I think there are some now, or at least some that are swinging at it. Um, but we uh, at Impact Ministries, just so you know, uh, we're not a... Uh, we're not a parachurch organization, and, I, and I, I think they're valuable and helpful and all that. But I just want you to know, we are a local church that's trying to flesh it out. So here's what that means. Uh, what that means is I do all the same things you do, okay? So uh, I'm, I'm in meetings. I'm in elders' meetings. I do weddings. I do funerals. Uh, I do services. I do staff meetings. I do uh, evaluations and review. I mean, we do all of that stuff. And so, uh, uh, so you can do, I'm here to tell you, you can do all that and still be a disciple-making pastor uh, at the same time. So you can, uh, you can do both. Uh, I've been at it for, uh, uh, for almost 30 years, okay? And uh, I will be at our church 30 years in June. Our church will have its 30th anniversary uh, in March of next year, in 2019. Somebody says, well, man, what in the world? What's it like to be a pastor in one place for 30 years? And I say, I don't know. All it means is, is that all the mistakes we have are my fault. That's all I know. All right. And so uh, I had a chance to plant this church. And so uh, to have planted it and pastored it for 30 years, uh, basically all it means is that uh, uh, it's, it's all my fault. man. I've caused all the problems here. Funny thing is, is that uh, I've been pastoring for 30 years and I did not set out to be a pastor. In fact, it is the last thing I wanted to do. Uh, I said when I, uh, when I was actually teaching school and I was a football coach, and I came out of college and started teaching and coaching and all that. And Lord just started stirring, man. He just kept going, you know, this is, this is not it. This is not it. I've, I've called you for more. I want you to do more. And so uh, long process, but I finally kind of surrendered to that and uh, said, well, I'll go to seminary. That'd be my next step. And I said, but Lord, if I go to seminary, I said, let's make a deal. All right. And I said, here's the deal. I said, number one is that I'll go to seminary as long as you don't make me a senior pastor somewhere. <laughs> number two, as long as you don't put me in a Baptist church, because I'd been there, done that, and I was ready for a change. And number three, as long as you don't put me in the South, all right? <laughs> because I know those people, and I don't want to go back there, all right? So guess what I've been doing for the last 30 years? All the above, right? I've been a senior pastor in a Baptist church in the South. And uh, so here's the moral of the whole thing. If you make a deal with God, guess who loses? Yeah. You do, all right? Actually, I won because it's been the ride 
been the ride of a lifetime. It really has been. And so, uh, uh, so it's been good. I, I would tell you that, uh, uh, that our church really has been a, uh, a laboratory of disciple making. And so uh, I want to start with a verse because I think we all just always, I think we always ought to open God's word to begin with, right? And so uh, whatever device or whatever you have, I, I just read you this verse. I think this sets the stage for everything we're going to talk about today. It's Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I think a lot of you know this probably some different theological interpretations of it, but I think there's one thing you'll agree with. It says here, Jesus says, and I tell you, uh, you are Peter and on this rock, here's the part I think we can all agree on, I will build what? My church. I will build my church. And so I think we can all agree that uh, it is his church, right? And if it's his church, it ought to be done his way, right? And so what I love about this conference, what I love about this whole thing is that uh, it is... Uh, it is a whole conference based on uh, Jesus-style disciple-making. Jesus-style disciple-making. And so I just think that's awesome that uh, the fact that if it, if it belongs to him, if he started it and he gave his life for it, then we ought to be doing it his way, right? And not our way. And so that's really, to be quite honest with you, that's going to be the premise of uh, everything we talk about here today is uh, we, truthfully, we haven't really... In, discovered anything or invented anything or come up with anything that we hadn't. If we don't see it in Jesus, and then, then we don't need to be doing it. And so, uh, uh, so really that's kind of what uh, the premise for uh, everything we're going to show uh, and share with you here today. So uh, uh, we got some uh, outlines. Hopefully everybody has an outline and uh, you might want to go ahead and turn in there to the first session and I'm going to kind of walk you through a couple of preceding uh, introductory points and uh, and then we'll dive in. You've got a, we got a, a little slide presentation here on the side, but uh, we start with a conviction. And uh, we believe uh, that the church, uh, really and truly, we believe if the church belongs to Jesus, uh, then it ought, to, it ought to look the way he wanted it to look. It ought to be built the way he wanted it to be built. And so we believe uh, that the church was designed ultimately to be a, 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 multiple, a movement of multiplying disciples. Make sure I said it the right way. It was designed to be a movement of multiplying disciples. Now, I, I'm sure you feel the same way I do, that, uh, that even though the church was designed to be that way, in 99% of the case, it is not, right? I mean, it is just not. It's, it to even, I, in fact, I would even tell you, I wouldn't even dare stand up here today and try to convince you that our church is a movement. We're not. We're not a movement. Here's what I will tell you. We do have some we do have some pockets of multiplication happening. And we do see some multiplication happening. But to say that we're a movement, I, I couldn't dare tell you that. I can tell you this. We are swinging at it harder than we ever have. And so what I do have to bring today is that I can tell you uh, what 30 years of experience of swinging at it looks like. And that's really what we're going to share with you uh, today is just kind of out of our experience. I heard a statement. In fact, this one statement I heard years ago. Wish I could know who to attribute it to because I can't obviously claim it, but I like it. <laughs> and uh, you're going to want to write it down. This is a great statement. Um, don't forget, somebody said this. They said that Jesus started the church the way he wanted it, and now he wants it the way he started it. Somebody should have amen me right there. Right? Okay. So now listen to that. Jesus started the church the way he wanted it. And now, guess what? He wants it the way he started it. So here's what I see. Is that Jesus came to start a movement of multiplying disciples. That Here's what would happen. Is that it would grow so fast. It would be growing exponentially. And in fact, it would just blow our minds today, wouldn't it? I mean, let's be honest. That is what happened in the book of Acts, isn't it? You do know that in the book of Acts is that the church grew from 120-something in the upper room to hundreds of thousands of people. Some people say the church grew in about 30 years from 120 in the upper room to somewhere between 100 and 150,000 people in a city of between 200 and 250,000 people. Now, how, how many would take those results in your city? Right. I'm thinking you would, right? I mean, I, I tell you, I, I, we, we live in a county, a county of 140,000 people. And I mean, if we had those same percentages of reaching people, that then I would be able to stand up here and tell you, maybe we have a movement going, right? 
Maybe we have a movement going. But here's what I believe. I believe it was all my heart. That Jesus, Jesus would look at the church today and he would say, you know, I, not, not, I, I think he would say, I, I like what you're, I, I love your heart, I like what you're, but that's really not what I had in mind. It's really not what I had in mind. In fact, it would, it would, me- here's the problem, is it would mess up what we do. It would mess up our structures. It would mess up our organizations. It would mess up our denominations. It would mess up our turf. It would mess up our money. I mean, let's be honest. It messes up, right? And so I think, though, we have to do everything we can to get the church back to where he started, and that is to be a movement of multiplying disciples. Now, hopefully you already have understood there that, because implicit in that statement is that if he wants our church to be, if he wants his church to be a movement of multiplication, and here's what that means, not a movement of addition. Because here's what we all know is that if all we are, and this, listen, most of our churches today, at least in the, in the country we live in, in North America for that matter, is that the truth is, is that uh, we pat ourselves on the back when we have great addition, don't we? Yeah. And we have settled for the good rather than the best. We really have. And so uh, I just believe that what Jesus had in mind was something, I mean, he told us to reach the world, right? He, he literally said, make disciples of what? Every nation, every generation, every people, everywhere, right? So either he, was set, either he was telling us to do something that he knew we couldn't do, or maybe we're not doing it the right way. I think it's the latter. I, I, don't, I don't think he would dare tell us to do something that we couldn't do. And he empowered us to do it. So maybe there's a better plan. Maybe there's something that we're doing. So, so here's what we believe. We believe that the church was designed to be a movement of multiplying disciples. And so how does that happen? What needs to be a part of that process? So, uh, so here, here's what we feel like. We, we've, again, uh, we have seen this in two places. We have, you see this very clearly in what Jesus came to do. You see this in the life of Christ. And then secondly, is that we have experienced it. We have literally experienced this by trying to flesh it out in a local church, in a, in a, in a, in a suburban metropolitan area of Atlanta. And so we've been working on it for 30 years. And we've just been trying to hammer this out, trying to figure it out from the life of Christ as our model, but then through our own personal context and our own personal experience. And this is what we've discovered, is that when you put those two together, uh, it's pretty clear that this is what we need. Number one, you, you'll see this on the... Uh, on the side, uh, the diagram over here uh, on the inside cover of your outline so you can kind of follow along. This, this is just kind of a big picture and then we'll drill down into some of this. Uh, we feel like the first thing is is that you have to have a clearly defined target. I mean, you really do, right? In fact, you know, how, how many of you know this? It's impossible to hit something, hit a target if you don't know what it is, right? I mean, it just is. And so here's what we feel like is that if Jesus is clearly clearly called us to make disciples, then here's the, here's the question. Do we even know what one looks like if we've made one? Right. And, and so right. we'll, we'll talk about it here in a second, but here's what I'm thinking. Is it, is it if you don't have a very clear picture on the wall of what a disciple looks like when you've made one, how in the world are you going to design anything, structure anything to be able to accomplish that, right? So we say number one, you got to have a clearly defined target. And in fact, here's what I'm saying, is that when Jesus came to make disciples, the master disciple maker knew exactly what his disciples were going to look like. In fact, he said it. He said it in Luke uh, 640, right? He said, a student is not above his teacher, but when a disciple or a student is fully trained, he will look like who? His teacher. So what we have to do is we have to figure out what Jesus looks like, right? Second thing that we need, listen to this, this is important. So, so if you don't listen, if all you do is get this part, then you, you, got, you got the big picture right here. Second thing you need is that you need to have a strategy, right? You need to have a strategy. And here's what that means, is that you need to have, you need to have a church-wide strategy. You don't just, listen, there's a huge difference. How, you know this. There's a huge difference between a church with discipleship and a disciple-making church. Yes. Those are very, very different things, right? 
So a lot of churches, here's what you have, is that you just have churches that just have some deeper life spiritual disciplines kind of stuff as an add-on for people who really want to go deeper. No, 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 no. Jesus didn't come to just take a handful of people deeper. Jesus came to take a handful of people deep enough to change the world. Jesus came to take a group of people deep enough. He took 12 guys deep enough to go wider. That's the reason he did that. And so there was a purpose behind all that. So, so here's what you got to do. You got to have a clearly defined target. But then you got to have a very, very clear um, strategy for how to do that. So if the target is to have fully trained disciples, they don't come in your church fully trained unless you're swapping sheep. <laughs> But if they come in, if you reach them out of the harvest, right, they come in. They're not fully trained. They're what? They're unschooled, ordinary men. Isn't that what Jesus started with? This is incredible. Jesus took unschooled, ordinary men and did what? Change the world with them. He did. He really did. That's, that, that's just right out, of, that's right out of Scripture, right in the book of Acts. You see it. And so then the third thing you've got to have is that you've got to create environments. So once you know what your target is, and then you create, then you develop a, a, a strategy, then you've got to create environments. So the environment, there's a lot of different types of environments. You've got large group and you've got ministry experience. But the one environment that Jesus used to change the world was what? It was a small group. It was a disciple-making small group. It wasn't just any kind of small group. It was a Disciple-driven, disciple, mission-driven disciple, mission small group. And so we're going to talk about what that means to have, because small groups are all over the map, man, all over the map. You got all kinds. So Jesus had a very, very, there were several things that Jesus had that made that group what it was. And then the last thing you got to have is you, you got to develop leaders, right? You got to develop leaders. Because how many of you know this? is that you can't hit a target, we can't work a strategy, and you can't create those environments if you don't have what? The right kind of leaders. Now here's what's crazy, is that every church in the room, every church in the world has leaders. The problem is we just don't have the right kind of leaders. So here's the deal. So if you've got, if, if, if we all agree that the mission of the church is to make disciples, then we all need disciple-making leaders in our churches. And, and just because you're a good leader doesn't mean you're a disciple-making leader. Isn't that right? I mean, I'm telling you, I grew up in churches where I've had some good godly leaders in churches, but didn't, didn't lead toward the mission. And so if you're not leading toward the mission, then you may be leading, but you're leading the wrong direction. So here's what we got to do. We got to get all four of those things, right? And, and, and I would submit to you that if you don't have all four of those things working, all four of those things operating, then you're missing something. And so you got to have all four of those things working. And that's what our track is going to be. And so, uh, so what we want to do is we're just going to share with you uh, everything that we have learned. And I think that's another. Yeah. You got another? You know? There, there you go. That was back. So we're going to share with you everything that we've learned so far. And, uh, you know, it, I, I, like I said this already, but uh, it really is true that uh, the beauty of being in a, in a church start and being there for 30 years and all that is that, uh, uh, is that we've, had the, we've really had the opportunity to try everything we could think of. And we've really tried to figure it out. And uh, I like to think of our church as a... Uh, for the last 30, we've been a research and development laboratory. And so the book that I, 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 the book that I can write is the book on what not to do. Okay. And I'm an expert in, in what not to do. And so I'm serious. I can, I can tell you how many different ways we've tried it and it hadn't worked. And uh, there are some things that are working very well. And those are the things we finally landed on that help us uh, to be able to share uh, others with what we've learned. And so uh, we really do have a commitment to help other churches learn what it means uh, to be a disciple-making church. And so we're here uh, not just to teach. Uh, we're here to connect. And so uh, if we 
can help you after this is over and you say, hey, you know what, we need some very practical advice and coaching and that kind of thing. Uh, we, we're here to help you do that. So you just can connect with us in that little uh, connection card that they gave, or I think we'll get you one when we're done. And so uh, all you got to do is just let us know uh, that you're interested in some coaching and all that. We'll help you do that. So with that said, let's dive right in here, okay? Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about the number one. First part is what? The target, right? The target. You got to have a target. So, uh, so I'll kind of explain to you uh, a little bit about what we mean about defining the right target. Basically, uh, you got to know what the, you may have heard this phrase before, you got to know what the end product looks like, right? You got to know what happens if you accomplish the mission that Jesus gave, you got to know what that's going to look like. You got to know what you're aiming for. So when I was, uh, uh, when I was just starting out in ministry, uh, somebody, I, I don't know if I saw it in a book or somebody gave me a copy of it. I, I had it for years. I don't know what happened to it, but I, somebody gave me a comic strip from Charlie Brown. And this comic strip had Charlie Brown shooting arrows in a wooden fence. It was this, you know, one of those privacy looking fences, a wooden you know, uh, plank fence. And so he's shooting the first frame. He's just shooting arrows into this fence. And so you see this fence with all these arrows that are just poked all over it, you know, that are sticking in it. And then in the next frame, uh, Lucy comes up and she says, what you doing, Charlie Brown? And then in the last frame, he says, he's got a can of red paint and he's uh, painting red circles around all his arrows. And guess what he says? I'm shooting bullseyes, right? Okay, now how many of you know what I just described? Yeah. So good. That's right. I just described the local church, <laughs> right? Because here's what we're doing. So I, I bet you everybody in here knows that all of us have busy churches, right? I mean, you came here. You, you came here to get away from the busyness, right? <laughs> you needed a break, right? And so you thought, I'll go to Nashville to get a break, right? And so here's the deal. Is it none of us have churches that are not active. You can have an active church and not have a productive church. You can have an active church and not have a productive church. And I'll bet you most of us, if we took our church calendars out, and we were to lay out what our church calendars are, we would go, oh my gosh, look at all this stuff. Look at all this stuff we've got going on. But here's what I'm going to tell you. If that stuff is not leading toward the production of disciples that look like Christ, guess what? You're just busy. You're just busy. And you might even be busy. You might even be busy about good things. Most of us are not doing bad things. We're doing good things, but we're just, we're just not really doing the best things. We're not doing the things that we really need to be doing. So I, I, I do think that, that we're very guilty of just define, we're, we're guilty of doing a lot of stuff and then defining our targets. You can't do that. You got to have the target defined before you, before you shoot the arrow, before you even know what's going on. It's, it's essential that we understand that the target is to make disciples in every nation, every, every nation, every generation, and, uh, and, and it looked like Jesus Christ. Think about this. So if, if you are the, if you're the CEO of a shoe factory, what's the end product? Shoes. Shoes. If you're the uh, president or principal of a high school, what's the end product? Graduates, right? Graduate. Hopefully, you're educated. Right? <laughs> so, if you're if you're the uh, the owner of a Chick Fil A, what's the end product? Money. <laughs> Money. <laughs> Eat more chicken, right? Eat more chicken. So, uh, so, so here's the deal. If you are a pastor or a leader of the Church of Jesus Christ, what's the end product? That what? Make look like Jesus Christ. And if they look like Jesus Christ, what will they do? Make disciples. If you make disciples that look like Jesus Christ, they will what? Make disciples, right? They will make disciples. So again, our, our, our verse here is, uh, is Luke chapter 6, verse 40. And so I want to make sure I quote it the right way. I, I seem to change it every time I say it. So a disciple 
is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. I was doing a, uh, I was doing something similar to this down in Haiti one time, and uh, we were staying in a place with a group of Christians from another group that were down there, and a guy knew what I was doing, and he asked me this question. He was being, quite honestly, he was being a little antagonistic, and he says, he says, so you're doing disciple training, huh? And I said, yeah. I said, we're trying to teach pastors and leaders down here how to make disciples. And he says, how do you know what a disciple looks like? And I was thinking he wasn't really, it really didn't care what I was going to say, but uh, it was jabbing at me a little. I said, well, you know, I said, here's the deal. I said, it's not for me to define that. It's not for me to define that. Jesus is the one who defines that. And in fact, he is the definition of what a disciple ought to look like, right? And according to that verse right there, whoop, and according to that verse right there, when you are fully trained, you'll be like who? You can be like Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but here's, the, the, to be honest with you, the church that I've, most of the churches that I've grown up in, here's our problem, is that we don't get the fully part. You know what we are? We partially train disciples. So we're really, really good at the, at the reaching, and we're really good at the baptizing, and we might even teach them some things, but here's what we don't do. We don't train them how to have the character and the conduct of Christ. And quite honestly, can I tell you something? That's why we're in the mess that we're in. Because you think about this. If we were doing what Jesus said we were supposed to be doing for the last 2,000 years, we'd be living in a whole different world today. Because you think about this. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're living your life like Christ, if you're living your life like your teacher, like Christ, here's what that does. Does that, does that make a marriage better or worse? Better. Does that make a family better or worse? Better. Does that make a church better or worse? Better. Does that make a company better or worse? Community better or worse? Make a, make a country better or worse? So, I mean, so, so, so let's, let's not overcomplicate this. There is a reason why he said, make disciples of all nations. What kind? Fully trained disciples. I'll be honest with you. I believe this with all my heart. It, it, it isn't, you know, it, it, government is not changing our world. Education is not changing our world. Economics is not changing our world. So, you know, all, all you, I mean, you just, what, the one thing that's going to change our world is what we're doing, is what this whole conference is about. When you get, when you get Christians and churches that are back focused on the mission that Jesus gave us, he started the church the way he wanted it, now he wants it the way he started it. Guys, listen, if we get back to that, you know what will happen? We, we'll start to see some fruit from that. Yes. We'll start to see some results from that. And that will, that will change the world we live in. So, how do we know? How do we know, right? What is fully trained? How do we know that? Well, I'm going to suggest this to you. I'm going to suggest to you that if I, in fact, let me back up. If I said to you, tell me all the things that uh, are true about Jesus that, that we want to be true about us. We could fill this whiteboard up, couldn't we? I mean, we have, we come up with all kinds of things. We say, man, well, we ought to be loving. We ought to be compassionate. We ought to be forgiving. We ought to be serving. We ought to be witnessing. We ought to be sharing. We ought to be, I mean, we could fill this up. In fact, it would almost be hard to grab, it'd be hard to get, you know, get our hands around. So if you said, so what are some of the, what are some of the common characteristics that we see, check this out, in multiple generations of disciples. Here's what I think you would see. Not a whole list, but you would see some that rise to the surface. You see, let me ask you this. If you see something in Jesus, and then you see something in his disciples, and you see the same thing in their disciples, where else should you see it? I'm going a little fast for you. Here we go. If you see something in Jesus and you see something in their disciples and you see something in their disciples, you ought to see it in us. Correct? So, so let's go back. How many would say Jesus was clearly a messenger? Yeah, no doubt. Jesus, Jesus, I mean, Jesus is preaching the good news everywhere we went, right? I mean, so all of us are going to say this. A fully trained disciple in everybody's church is going to be somebody who's sharing their faith, right? And we're all agreeing on that, right? So, 
if, if we see it in Jesus and we see it in his disciples, they were fishers of men. You go to Acts in the book of Acts, says that people were coming to Christ every day, day in Acts chapter 2. So now you got three different generations. So if it's true for those three generations, guess what? It ought to be true for every single Christian for the next 2,000 years. It ought to be true. Here's another example. So Paul says, follow my example as I follow who? Christ. Christ. So Paul is, Paul is saying, you can follow my example because I'm following what? I'm following Christ. And then he says to Timothy, right? The things that you have heard me say and trust to what? Faithful men who will also teach what? Others. So here you got, so here you got, you got what you see it in Jesus. Paul says you ought to see it in me. And then he says you ought to see it in Timothy. And then he says you ought to see it in the people that Timothy's disciples. And then the people that, the others that are being disciples. Everybody follow me? So here's what I'm saying. So there are several things that are common characteristics. Now we've identified seven common characteristics. We have, we're not saying that there's only seven. We just are saying we know there are seven. We see these seven. Here's why we've chosen seven. Because in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47, you find every one of these. I think there's something, something to that. You see every one of them in the, in the one Titus, Titus summary of the New Testament church described in the scripture. You see all seven of these right there. And so, so we believe that these seven ought to be true about every single person in our church if they become fully trained. So what I'm going to share with you today, I'm just going to take a few minutes here, and I'm just going to share with you uh, what, we, what the, the fully trained disciple, the end product of our church is. Okay? If, we're, if we are making disciples in our church that look like our teacher, this is what we think they're going to look like. And there's seven things that we, have, uh, that we have identified. Now, let me just tell you this, is that we have given all of them a word that starts with an M, okay? Because Jesus loves M&Ms, all right? And uh, no, 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 no. So here's what I want to tell you. Is that this is just the way we do it because it just works for us. I'm just going to tell you this. I don't, it doesn't matter that you use whatever language you want because you do know your language will shape the culture of your church. So it doesn't matter. Uh, You know, I went to seminary to make words that start with the same letter. All right. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm professional at that, but, but you don't have to do that. I, I don't care that you use, I will tell you this. I do think you need to have a target. And that target needs to be whatever you see is fully trained. I do think you need to have a... I'm not telling you. Jesus is saying you need to make fully trained disciples. Not partially trained, but fully trained. So here's what it looks like for us. So number one, the first thing is that we say that they need to be a member. Uh, A disciple is a member. In fact, let's just go back to Acts chapter 2 for a minute. So right out of the gate, right out of the gate, what's the very first thing that happens right after Pentecost? And they what? devoted themselves to one another. Does that sound like commitment or non-commitment? I'm thinking it's commitment. Hey, this is crazy. Is it from the very beginning? In fact, you know what? Even before that, let's take it back before that. So let's go back. Let's go back to Jesus and his disciples. So in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he says, come and follow me and I will make you something, right? I'll make you fishers of men. So when he says, come and follow me, what is he asking for? He's asking for a commitment, right? He's not saying just come when you want to and don't come when you don't want to. He's saying, no, I want you to belong. Here's what he's saying, guys. He's saying, I want you to belong to my mission and my movement. And, and here's what's crazy. I mean, it, it's, it drives me nuts. Is that we live in a world today where people are less and less willing to want to identify with the, with the local church as a part of the movement and the mission of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we feel like it's important still. We really do. And some of you, some of you might even say, I, nah, it's not all that important. You know, you need to be a part of a local church body. Yes. I mean, think about this. 
if, you know what, I've got kids, he's got kids, he's got kids, and so where is the best place for my kids to be raised? At his house or his house or my house? My house. Is it because I'm a better parent than these two guys? Look at them. No, 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 no. I'm the best parent for my kids. And you know what? Is that there is something to say for why you need a spiritual family to belong to. Awesome. You get love there. You get nurtured there. You should get some discipline there awesome. if you need to, right? And so you got to be a part of a spiritual family. If you're just jumping around from family. If, right. if we swap my three kids and his three kids and his four kids, if we keep swapping them around every couple of years or every couple of months, guess what's going to happen? My kids are going to be messed up bad, man. They're going to be really messed up. Actually, all of our kids are going to be messed up. And that's what's happening in our world today. So you got to be in a, you got to belong. Got to belong. We call it a member. The second thing is that we say a disciple, we say is a magnifier. That's our M word for worshiper. It's our M word for worshiper. We, we would say the member is a belonger, but this would be a, this would be a worshiper. In fact, Here's what it says in Acts chapter 2. I'm sorry. Down? What's that? In worship, do you mean praise or bowing down? I mean living a lifestyle of exalting Jesus. Praise. Okay. Yeah, awesome. yeah. So, uh, so what we would say is, is it really is a 24-7 lifestyle of exalting Jesus. In fact, you know what's crazy? Every time Jesus turns around, he doesn't take credit for anything. He doesn't even take credit for his miracles. Guess what he does with that? He points people to who? He points people to his father. And so here's what even Jesus does. Is that Jesus, everything Jesus says, he says he got it from who? From the father. So here's what he's doing. He's taking everything he does and he magnifies God to it. And so what we believe is that we ought to teach people in our church what it means to live a lifestyle of magnifying God. Now here's how we see that fleshed out. In in Acts 2.47, it says they met together in house to house and they met in the temple courts. So we believe that that temple court experience was an opportunity for them to, to have corporate worship. We believe that they were meeting together for teaching and for worship and for praise Okay, during that time. Now, uh, we think that when you look at the life of Christ again, when you look at what Jesus did, so you see a theme in the life of Christ. One is is that on a regular basis, in fact, they just talked about it in that large group, on a regular basis, Jesus was always getting away from the crowds, always going to a side. And what would he do when he got there? Pray. He would pray. So we would say he had a private worship experience. And then it says that as was his custom, he would go where? The temple. He'd go into the synagogue. Remember that? He's regularly going into the synagogue. So why... Jesus didn't have to go to the synagogue. He chose to go to the synagogue. And so every time he'd go to the synagogue, what was he having? There's a private worship experience, and then there's a public corporate worship experience. So I don't know about you, but here's what I would say. I bet, I bet you would say the same thing. So we would like to see every person in our church have a consistency in private and public worship in their lives. So good. Do you agree with that? Yes. Now, how many of you know that's not happening today? Yes. Right. A guy just told me the other day, now the average committed believer comes to church 1.8 weekends a month. 1.8 weekends a month, man. That's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, that's that, but that is our culture today, isn't it? So we say that a, when, we, when we put our end product on the wall, we say we really want everyone to be committed, a belonger, part of the mission and the movement. We want them to be a magnifier. We want them to understand what consistent private worship and public worship is. Here's the third thing, is that we want them to be maturing. We want them to be maturing. In, um, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, listen, you, you know this verse. It says they devoted themselves to the, what? Apostles teaching. Okay, so let me ask you something. So if they were committed to teaching, uh, it's pretty clear growth was a priority to them, right? So going from an unschooled ordinary person to a fully trained disciple, now they see that as a priority for the people that they're discipling. 
they see growth going from an infant to an adult ought to be happening in every single church, right? Yes. So in our church, this is what we believe, is that we want every believer to be growing. We want every believer to be maturing. Now, there's a lot involved in maturing and growth, but there are some things that are basic for everybody. And so we, we actually have a core curriculum. Mike's going to talk about it later. We have a core curric curriculum. In fact, uh, every college, every university that I know, every one of them, it doesn't matter if they're Georgia Tech or University of Georgia. I'm not too sure about Alabama and uh, Auburn. That's, I, I could throw me off there, man. Uh, but every one of them expect you to go through English 101, right? Every one of them. Every one of them. It doesn't matter if you're going for an aerospace engineer or what do they study at Georgia? <laughs> so, anyway, uh, it doesn't matter what your degree is. Everybody goes through. You know what? How many of you believe? Everybody ought to know, everybody ought to know your basic belief, right? Everybody ought to know the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. Everybody ought to know a basic overview of the Bible. Everybody ought to have basic spiritual disciplines. Everybody ought to know the life of Christ, right? So, so you need to have a plan. Think about this. So if, you were to, if, we, were to go, uh, if we were to go out for dinner tonight and, and I went with these guys and, and you were out with your group and you looked over and you said, hey, that's the guy that led that, that breakout over there. And he's sitting in a high chair at the restaurant out here. You see me sitting in a high chair with a bib around my neck. What's going to be your thought? You're thinking, you're thinking, why, you're thinking, why did I listen to that guy today, right? You know what? You're going to look over there and you're going to say, that's not normal. A 58-year-old man doesn't sit in a high chair and he doesn't wear a bib, right? You're going to say, that's not normal. Can I tell you something? In every single church, on every single weekend, my church included, we got people that have been walking with the Lord for 20, 30, 40 years that are still being spoon-fed. And you know what? None of us say that's not normal. So you got to have a church. you got to know that people are what? That they're maturing, right? Here's the next thing, is that we believe that every disciple, every disciple needs to be a minister, needs to be a minister. Now, there's a couple of verses here that I give you, but uh, uh, the uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 45, it says that they were, they were sharing everything that they had. They were taking care of one another. They were meeting one another's needs. Everybody remember that passage in Acts chapter 2? Now, think about this. So this is, this is right after Pentecost, and they're serving one another. They're living in community. They're taking care of it. So not too many months before that, maybe even weeks actually, not too many weeks before that, what had just happened where Jesus gave them an incredible uh, sermon illustration. He gave them a great visual of how he wanted them, why he wanted them to be caring for one another and taking care of one another. What did he do? Anybody remember? It was in the upper room. It's a dead giveaway. He washed their feet, right? And then he says, after he washes their feet, now I want you to do what? I want you to do this with one another. Now, this is what I believe is incredible, is that that whole, that whole event is still in their mind's eye and his words are still ringing in their ear. And I'm convinced that never has being in the early church, never once was being a disciple and being a servant not one and the same. Never. But why is it that 2,000 years later, there's lots of people who are following Christ, who have given their lives to God, who call themselves a disciple and don't serve anywhere. Don't serve in any, any way, shape, or form. And I, and I know that it can look a lot of different ways. I, I, I get that. I mean, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be a position on a team in a church, but I think it's a good thing if they are. I think it's a good thing if you're serving out of your lifestyle but I think it's also if you're serving as a part of the body of Christ with your gift that God's given you to be used in ministry. And so here, here again, this is just how we see it in our church. I do think you need to make fully trained disciples. We believe a fully trained disciple will be a servant. Will be a, got to start with an M, going to be a minister, right? 
And, and, and ministry is really simply this. It's just finding a need and filling it, isn't it? That's really what it is. So here, here's the next dim. The next dim is a, a manager. It's a manager. Now think about this. In Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 45, it says that they were, they were selling their possessions and goods and they were giving to one another who had need. So, so if, they're getting, if they're taking what they had and they're using what they have been given to serve others, that's called being a good what? Steward. Steward, exactly. That's just called being a good steward. Here's what they've clearly understood. They've clearly understood that being a disciple of Jesus, like, the, like our teacher, and being a manager go hand in hand. They go together. And so here, here's what's crazy. So in a lot of churches, what we do is we give people, uh, we give people a lot of information, we give people a lot of knowledge, but we don't teach them anything about how to, how to honor God with their resources. We don't teach them how to manage their money differently, teach them how to I mean, how about this? We don't teach them how to take care of their temple like they ought to. Awesome. We don't teach them how to live in relationships like they ought to. We don't teach them how to manage their time the way they ought to. Because here's the deal. Everybody knows your, your time is not your time. You're just the manager of it. You just It belongs to him. He's just giving it to you. It's just, it's just on loan to you, isn't it? And so here's what we want to do. We want to try to help every single, if we're helping people, again, let me give you the picture. If people come into our church that are, that are untrained, unschooled, ordinary men and women, and we're trying to lead them to become fully trained, really connected disciples, then we want them to become members. We want them to be a part of the mission of the movement of Christ. And again, not, not, this is not a legalistic thing, but we're, we're trying to lead them in this direction, right? We want them to be devoted to one another. And then we're trying to lead them to become magnifiers. We want them to be a part of the temple court and we want them to have regular time alone with God. And then we're trying to lead them to become maturing. We want them to be in the apostles' teaching. And then we're trying to lead them to become better managers of what they've been given. And we want them to say, hey, if what I've been given can help uh, the cause of Christ, then I'm giving it and I'm using it. Does that make sense? Everybody see what we're talking about here? So we're, we, we, we do have a picture of our preferred destination. We have a picture of what we believe a fully trained disciple looks like. I'm not telling you that the way it looks. I, I, will, I will say, I think some of them, if you, if you flesh this out in your church, you should flesh this out in your church. And I, I don't know which one of these, you may add some, but I don't think you would leave any of these off. I don't think anybody here would say, we, we expect somebody to be fully trained, but not be a better steward. I don't think anybody would say that. You, you do want, that's, that's helping them become the disciple that God wanted them to be. And then the next one is the one I used a minute ago, and that is, the, is a messenger. And we want everybody to become a messenger. In fact, in, uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says, and then... Uh, Day by day, they were adding to the church daily those who were being <coughs> saved, right? So here's what we, it, it, it's obviously implied that if people were coming to Christ and somebody was doing what? Yeah. Somebody was reaching them, right? <laughs> Somebody's reaching them. If people are coming to Christ every day and the church is growing, people are being added and clearly, <coughs> clearly they're reaching them. They're, they're connecting with people and they're helping them come to know Christ. And so... Uh, so it also tells us in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 5, actually in verse 42, it says they did not cease doing what? Teaching and preaching. They did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is Christ. And so they were, uh, obviously, they were continuing to share what they had been given. Now, where, where do you think they get this idea? Where do they, why, why is it in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, why is it? I mean, could it be that the tendency would be, we got a good thing going here, let's just keep it all to ourselves? I mean, that would be a tendency, right? They didn't do that. Why? Because that's not what they saw where? In the disciples, nor is it what they saw in, in Jesus. 
So it never was anything else. They never thought it any other way. They, they would have never thought, listen to this, they would have never thought that being evangelistic or being a witness was optional. They would have seen it as what? That is what it means to be a disciple. That's what everybody, that's, isn't that what everybody does? They would have thought everybody does that. And, and, and so they would have remembered, here's what they would have remembered, Jesus saying something like this, for the Son of Man came to what? Seek and to save that which was lost. They, so see, they would have never said, so I can be a disciple of Jesus and not share my faith. No, 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 no. That, never even, that, that, thought, that thought never even crossed their mind. They would have thought, that's just what you, that's just what you do. When you, man, when, you, when you've experienced the cure for everything in the world, guess what you do? You, you give it to everybody who's got the same problem you got, right? And so this is very, it's, it's just, this is so simple. It makes so much sense that you have a clearly defined picture of what a disciple looks like when you make one. And so isn't this interesting? Uh, you probably heard this, this statistic, maybe even changed, maybe even be worse now. But a few years ago, I read this statistic that, that maybe it was just the denomination that I'm a part of. It might, 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 might be bigger, but, but one half of all churches did not have one single baptism in a, in a year. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it, even if, it, if that's what it was, if you, that's, that's just not what he had in mind. That's not the church. He, he didn't, if he started the church the way he wanted it, it's clearly not the way he started it, right? Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's not what we what we had what he had in mind. And so we want to have churches where people are messengers. And then here's the last one, and that is how am I doing time wise? Okay. So then uh, the next one is to be a multiplier, and so we want to help people become a multiplier now. I did tell you something that I said all seven of these were in Acts chapter 2, except for this one. Mm -hmm. This one's not in Acts chapter because there's no, there's no reference to multiplying in Acts chapter 2. I do think it's implied, but it is in Acts chapter 6 verse 7 because it says that a number of the uh, priests were being obedient to the faith and the church was multiplying greatly. So it's a couple chapters over. But I think it's a couple chapters over for a reason. Because <laughs> I think it took some time for multiplication to actually start to happen. And you begin to see it spread. And you begin to see it grow. And by the time you get to Acts chapter 20, 20 or 21, it says in Jerusalem, thousands, King James I think says it like this, thousands upon thousands have believed. That's crazy, right? Thousands. That didn't happen by addition. That happened by multiplication. And so, so think about this. Is it from the very beginning? From the very beginning, being a disciple meant being what? It meant being a multiplier. It meant, it meant if you'd been discipled, if you'd been taught that you turn around and you try to help teach somebody, you try to reach, baptize, you try to win, baptize, and send somebody else out. And so that becomes a part of really their expectation of what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a Christian. You know, I, I like... I, in our church, we, we don't even hardly use the word discipleship very much. We, we don't really, because we like the word disciple making. We think that's what Jesus really communicated. It's the word disciple, the phrase disciple making. And, and I like the way, actually, Robbie Galley's got heard say this, but uh, the difference is disciple making is like having uh, two oars instead of one. Okay? Uh, if you just have uh, discipleship, you got one oar. Or if you just have evangelism, you got one or. And if that's all you're rowing, what happens to you? You just spin it in circles. You need what? Disciple making is two oars. It's like two wings on an airplane, right? Evangelism and discipleship make what? Disciple making, right? And so when we look at our, when we look at our church and we say, clearly Jesus has called us to make disciples that are fully trained we at least have identified what we think a fully trained disciple looks like. And so here's what we're doing. So we are lining up our strategy, how we're trying to do that. We're creating environments and we're raising up leaders that help us accomplish that target. Does that make sense?
Now let me leave you with one story and then we'll have take some questions if you want to or just break early. How's that? So, uh, so let me give you a story. Uh, this, I heard this years ago. Messed me up. Just messed me up. So, uh, so there was a guy who was a CEO of a shoe factory. All right. And so we said earlier, what is, this, what is he he's supposed to do? Produce shoes, right? Save souls. And so, uh, save souls, man. And we got the comedian right here on the front row, man. And so, uh, so we got this guy. He's the CEO of a shoe factory. And so uh, he goes in to meet with his board of directors. And so he goes in to give his annual report. And so board of directors all sitting there. And uh, they say, so tell us what kind of year have you had? And he says, oh, my goodness. He says, we have had a banner year. He said, you know what? He said, we've had, this, we've had the best attendance record that we've ever had in the history of our plant. In fact, we've had less absences this year than we've ever had. We've had an incredible turnout of work. Nobody's, we've only had one or two sicknesses all year. And they're going to say, man, that is awesome. That's great. We want to say good job. But what we really want to know is what? How many shoes did you produce? And so then... Uh, the, the guy says, well, you know, we've had a banner year this year because we've got the cleanest plant we've ever had. And he's going to say, okay, so we're glad you got a clean plant. We're glad that you could, you know, you could eat off the floor. We're glad you got a nice looking facility here. But what we really wanted to know was how many what? Shoes. How many shoes did you make? How many shoes did you produce? Hopefully an even number. And then he says, what's that? Hopefully an even number. Hopefully an even number. And then he says, man, you just keep it rolling, man. I'll, I'll, I'll come back another session, wouldn't you? And so then, uh, and then they say, well, we want to ask you, what kind of year have you had? And he says, well, you don't understand. He said, we've had nobody get hurt. This is the best safety year we've ever had. We, I mean, we're, we, OSHA will never have a problem with us. We have the best safety. Everybody in our church is so They've been so well taken care of. Yeah. There's so much care going on here. Everybody's such good shape. They said, well, that's great. We're glad nobody got hurt. But what we really want to know is what? How many shoes did you produce? And then he said, but you don't understand. We've had a great year because morale is higher than it's ever been. And people love working here. They love. We have so much unity here. He's going to say, well, that's great. I'm glad people love working here, and I'm glad you got But what I really want to know is how many shoes did you produce? And you know what? One day, here's what's going to happen, is that I'm going to stand before the Lord, and I believe with all my heart he's going to say this. How many disciples did you guys produce? And he's not even going to ask about it. He's going to ask me personally. And here's what I want to say. Lord, you should see our building. <laughs> we got a good-looking building. Have you heard me preach? <laughs> He's going to say, yeah, I have. <laughs> it's not that hot. <laughs> and I'm saying, but Lord, we, we got long. We, have you been to one of our potlucks? I mean, we, I mean, we eat, baby. We can eat, man. You know what? He's, here's what he's going to say. Not did you have the, the best production in your service. Not did you have the most organized. Not did, you, did everybody even get along. And I'm all for harmony. Not did everybody get taken care of, and you know, did you go to every hospital call? And every he's going to say, "Did you make disciples?" So, however, however that looks for you, whatever. Here's what I hope: I hope you have. I hope you have a target, and I hope you know because you are all of us. One day, we're going to give an account for whether or not we made disciples. So at least on this side of eternity, I hope you know what one looks like if you made one. Or guess what? You're just drawing arrows or just drawing bullseyes around all your arrows. And that's not the church. That's not the way he started it. All right? Anybody got a question? Comment, thought. But you know what? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that because here's what we... What we it, the answer is what you just said. It is all the above. But I will say this. So we do a, a once a month uh, what we call next steps class, next steps orientation. There's several parts to that. But in that class, I don't do it the way I did here. I don't say it exactly like I did here. But in that class, we tell people that, um, that the purpose of our church is to make disciples. And discipleship is a journey. 
And so we want to help you on that journey. And there are several steps to that journey. And I go through and I, I talk about how do you know when you get to the, how do you know when you're there yet? And I say that you will become a member. And, a, and so I walk through that from the very first thing we do in our church. So uh, now the rest of everything else you're going to hear is a part of that. But in terms of what the end product is, we talk about it at the very first event a new person would come to. And when you walk in the lobby of both of our campuses, we have three campuses, but two of them are ours. And inside the lobby, you've got pictures of these seven M's over every, all over the lobby. So we, we actually do have a place where everybody's going to hear the preferred destination from the very, if they take a step out of the crowd into our sort of our assimilation process, they're going to hear that. And then we teach it at other places, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't necessarily teach it uh, as a series every year, but I sprinkle it in. And sometimes what we'll do, like in January, so in January, we're just going to do a whole series on just being a manager. So we'll do that. So, so I, I mix it up. I try not to let them, try not to be too predictable, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you come to that next steps class, so then there's, uh, we, we, we start with an orientation night. So uh, what we do is we provide a dinner. And so we come in and, uh, and I sort of introduce the whole idea of how do you get involved in our church, how do you take a next step. And I laid out those, those things. And then we follow that up with a, a step called the step of connecting. And uh, Mike actually leads that and it gets him into a small group. And then we talk about serving and then we go through a process. The last one is belonging. So we put being a member at the very end of that, of that process. It's a four-week process. Mm -hmm. And there's a few. We're actually in the process of just repackaging that and retooling that. And so some of them will actually be, uh, we're going to do a few of these that are going to be uh, some video classes that they can watch because they don't, there's a few of the things they don't have to actually be there with somebody. So this is key at that class that we do uh, for, and this is, I guess this is part of what we're talking about, but, uh, but when they come to that, that orientation class, so we give them a meal and they sit at a table, there's a staff person at every table because we want a relational contact established right at the beginning. And so that staff person will help walk them through, help help them through that process as they go. So the question is, do we, I just, I just remembered you told me to do that. So the question is, are we making disciples to make disciples? So when we get to the strategy part, you're going to see that. So we are doing that. Yes. No, no, that's great. In fact, so we want to have, uh, it happens particularly in our small groups. So we're trying to empower all of our small group leaders to be the guys that are helping lead people through that process. So the answer to your question, absolutely it is. Yeah, it's not a, if, it, if we were doing that, it's just a program. And so we don't want to just be a program. It's got to be a process where it keeps multiplying and keeps reproducing itself. Um, how do you do that in a small congregation of less than 100? Well, I think you start with uh, people who want, to, who want to grow, people who want to, uh, want to be discipled, want to be trained. And so you, 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 you got to start somewhere. And then, you know, the ultimate goal is that you want to see it, you want to see as many people in that congregation begin to develop that lifestyle, but you want it to go beyond that. So you want people to begin, and that's where strategy session is going to explain some of that, because then you want that to be a lifestyle where people are, if they're becoming messengers, they're inviting more and more people into your church. So then you're helping the new people that are coming in to end up going through that same process. So, so you just, you're, even if in a small church, so you got to start somewhere. So I, I bet you got a church bigger than 12. You said 100, right? Yeah, between eight. Yeah. So Jesus started that whole process with 12. So that, that ought to be a good example for you right there. That Jesus, Jesus invested in a few in order to reach the many. So the question is, metrics, do we have a way of measuring that process and how we do that? It's called our executive pastor. And so he's sitting right there. So he's, he keeps track of all that for us. So, uh, but, uh, but, you know, I, I will say, I, I, I think, I know what you're asking, and, and it's a great question. And, and you know, um, yes and no. So, so isn't it crazy how 
it's so easy to measure attendance and it's so easy to measure uh, dollars and it's so easy to measure baptisms even, right? But it's very, very hard to measure disciples that are now making disciples. And sometimes, because as much as we want it to fit in our perfect little formula, it doesn't, right? And so it doesn't fit in our little flow charts very well. But what I do know is that I sit in uh, our auditorium every Wednesday night and I look across the room and I see people that, that, that I've discipled that are discipling other people. And uh, I will tell you that uh, about six years ago, uh, I started meeting with a guy every Thursday morning for, you know, for discipleship. And now, uh, every Thursday morning, we have about 60, 50 to 60 guys that are meeting on Thursday morning. And we got about 10 groups going. So, um, so I can tell you, you can measure it. <laughs> you can see some of it, but you just can't see it sometimes um, when it's, when it's kind of spreading around. You know, so I don't know. Does that answer your question at all? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. Close. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I will say uh, that it's a lot, it is a lot hard, it's a lot easier in a, in a church of 100 or 200 than in, when you get 3,000 people, it gets, gets really difficult to, to do that. But, okay. but if you have your leaders doing it, you can that's, keep track of it. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. In addition to this podcast, you'll find many other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.